0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nagat. It's another election day uh, here in Georgia. Primary runoffs taking place across the state, primarily for local elections, but... Also, a couple of congressional uh, runoff elections, uh, two of which, particularly Republican runoff elections, we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Um, According to the Secretary of State's office, uh, almost 400,000 people, some 377,000 Georgians already voted in advance of today's uh, runoff election. Sixty percent of them either early voted or absentee voted. And... um, the, the, uh, the Secretary of State's office is already saying that because ballots have to be put through scanners uh, uh, under the new system, there's no guarantee that even with uh, a much, much lighter turnout expected today, we're going to necessarily have all the results in by the end of uh, this evening, which we're so used to in uh, elections traditionally. Uh, the good news is that uh, various counties, particularly in Metro of Atlanta, have learned some lessons and the Secretary of State's office is working with them to try to make things run a bit, bit more smoothly. Um, there are technicians, actual technicians, at every voting location in Cobb Cam Cab, Fulton, and Gwinnett counties, and uh, the voting machines were delivered far ahead of today's election. Both of those um, were not the case. On uh, June 9th, which was one of the reasons, especially in the metro Atlanta area, we had such uh, confusion and long lines at the polls. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, how the election we expected to unfold. The polls opened at seven o'clock this morning. They stay open until seven o'clock tonight. And uh, we have had no reports yet of any problems at polling places Uh, In the state, I'm sure some will come in as the show goes on, as the day goes on, and as it happens, we'll let you know about it. I just wanted to make another quick note before I introduce the panel. Many of you know that yesterday you were with us when we did a show on, once again, looking at the coronavirus and all of the controversies and problems it's creating in terms of how schools are trying to open either for uh, virtual learning for in-person learning or whatever and, and I, I want to immediately say I got an email from a listener out in the Augusta area in Columbia County uh, who was a little frustrated with me and and I think for good reason she had written me about a week ago to say they were having some significant problems in schools out in Columbia County there were virus they have having in-person classes through all the grades out there. They have some alternating day schedules, that sort of thing. Nevertheless, they were having reports of positive cases in the schools. Uh, The listener felt that the schools had not done a particularly good job in isolating classes where uh, one person may have been exposed to the virus. And uh, she was frustrated that we hadn't reported on that. And, And she's absolutely right. Uh, but it's also true that national attention has been focused primarily on what happened in Cherokee County, North Paulding High School, where that photograph of a crowded classroom, nobody wearing masks, got a lot of national attention. Uh, but the reason I mentioned it today is not just to say that there are schools around the state that are experiencing difficulties on this issue, but that we can't monitor all of them. So this is where crowdsourcing from you would really be helpful. In the days ahead, as school districts open in your area, wherever you are in Georgia, if problems emerge, please email me because we want to keep track of them to the best of our ability. There are a lot of school districts in the state, and we simply don't have the uh, wherewithal to monitor all of them. So you should let me know so we can report on what's happening in your area. Just send me an email, b-n-i-g-u-t, bniget, at gpb.org. Okay, enough. Let's get to today's panel and uh, talk about lots of issues that are important on this runoff election day. Uh, Tamar Hellerman is here, of course. She's out with us on Tuesday, senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, Tamar is sheltering in place with her still relatively new puppy how are you and your puppy doing tomorrow
2: <laughs> good we keep getting caught in the rain with this crazy weather it's it's raining in midtown right now and and uh was not expecting it when i went out on my morning walk so cool enough yeah
1: <laughs> okay well dry off and we'll talk politics in a few minutes a uh, state representative mary margaret oliver is uh, with us today she's a democratic state representative from decatur mary margaret thank you for being with us how are you holding up in all this
0: I'm doing great. I feel pretty lucky. Don't have to teach anybody math today, and uh, easy to go to the (laughs) the
1: ball. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, We're also joined by Mary Margaret's Sunday school teaching partner, Edward Lindsay, who is a former Republican state representative from Atlanta. Uh, You guys, you two haven't been able to teach Sunday school together for quite some time, I imagine now, Edward.
3: That's correct. Unfortunately, uh, we've been going to church virtually since what, Mary Margaret? Sometime in mid-March.
1: Like uh, people all over the state of Georgia and the country suddenly turning to uh, virtual services, which obviously, obviously is not the way you really want to do church, synagogue, your mosque, whatever. Uh, We're also joined by Kyle Hayes who is a producer, creator, I think you, is it fair to call, you are the creator of Peach Pod, aren't you, Kyle?
4: bit of everything, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Peach Pod, which is, Kyle lives in Washington, D.C. now, but of course grew up in Georgia, uh, University of Georgia graduate, and his Peach Pod podcast is really must listening if you care about politics here in the state because he's done a terrific job keeping on top of what's going on here. Kyle, I think your current podcast, which you dropped yesterday, is a conversation in which you talk about um, Senator Kelly Leffler and how she is clinging to Donald the politics that Donald Trump is promoting right now in her effort to win election in November, <laughs> right?
4: That is correct. Yeah, I think that kind of became a story for everybody this week, as we've seen um, the path that she started in the middle of an economic crisis and a pandemic, and it's much different than the one that was advertised when she first uh, took seat in the Senate at the beginning of the year. So, yeah, that was our show for this week.
1: Okay, well, you can look for uh, Peach Pod um, uh, at any of the platforms that you may get your podcast. Um, all right, tomorrow, let's start talking about. First of all. I think it's going to be interesting tomorrow to see whether the Secretary of State's office, working with counties, have really learned their lessons. And again, it is a small turnout election. Probably, nevertheless, we'll get some sense of whether they're on the right track for November 3rd. I think tomorrow.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, they, they sent out technicians to a lot of the metro Atlanta counties that had a ton of problems in in June. There was a little more, um, you know, training and, and kind of oversight in the lead up to Election Day. But uh, some of the same problems remain. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. You still have a lot of polling sites that... Uh, you know, may have pulled out at the last minute, there still are issues with volunteers, uh, poll workers who tend to be older and tend to be more vulnerable to the coronavirus who who may pull out at the last minute because of concerns they may have been exposed. So all of those issues are still at play today.
1: You know, Edward, uh, we saw so much finger pointing on June 10th moving forward between the Secretary of State's office, particularly Fulton County, to Cab County, who was to blame for the lines that stretched on endlessly. And it felt obviously counterproductive. It didn't feel like anybody was getting to the bottom of how to change things. Am I am I sensing that they've decided they're, they'd better start cooperating to move things forward? Or, or do you think we're still experiencing some tension between the state and the counties?
3: Well, there will always be some tension. There's always been some tension uh, between the counties and the state, given the fact that they have very different responsibilities with elections. But it does appear that they're getting along better, and they're trying to figure this out. The fact of the matter is nobody looks good. Uh, when, uh, there are problems with voting, uh, and the secretary of state's office is trying to make some proactive steps uh, to prepare also for November as a public service announcement. Let me, so let me also point out to your listeners that come, I believe, August 15th, uh, you can apply for an absentee ballot online. Uh, I think that's going to be a very positive step in the right direction. I know a lot of counties are going to be more proactive themselves when it comes to uh, letting people know how to apply for an absentee ballot, uh, given the difficulty there's going to be when it comes to voting in person. Um, Like I said a moment ago, nobody wins when there's a questionable election and when there's finger pointing after an election takes place. So let's just hope that they all start working together better.
0: There's a little tension. I think there's a little tension remaining. Um, DeKalb County, as you know, voted and the DeKalb County Commission voted to pay for sending out applications for mm. ballots for the November um, election. The Secretary of State has got its back up about they didn't like who we were sending it to. And so there's, there's some remaining tension and some remaining uh, ill feeling about the finger pointing. I'm on the Government Affairs Committee. We were tasked uh, by the speaker to do an investigation of June 9th, and actually we met yesterday and have put together a long list of issues that voters uh, sent to the committee, all online, all live streaming. And we've had testimony in two hearings, and we'll be producing a report on here's the issues we can address. The thing that stood out to me that I hope is fixed for today It's when Kathy Cox put machines in the 2,000-plus precincts, she sent a technician on day one to every precinct, and that was in her contract with the provider of the 2,000-plus machines. Uh, That did not happen on June 9th, and the four, three to four steps of different machines uh, for the first time, that should have been a technician there, given the overload of electricity issues. I'm understanding that uh, I don't know whether it's only DeKalb or whether many counties have eliminated the machine scanning input for the driver's license that they're going back to the paper system. I'm going to go vote in person hmm. uh, at my high school to see if how DeKalb County is doing that. Tensions are still there. We so, expect a lot of improvements today, but I'm frankly very worried still about November.
3: Well, we're going to have to. So, we're Kyle, a uh, little
0: hard on, on mail.
3: Balloting. Uh, That's the bottom line. Uh, People are going to want to do that. So we've got to focus on how to make that easier.
1: So, Kyle, uh, Edward, and Mary Margaret point me to something I wanted to ask about this. And that is okay, so we've got today's election, the runoff election, but they began turning the corner to talk about what we are going to be looking forward to on November 3rd. Edward points out that starting in uh, you said you've got a date of August 15th, I, and I hope that's correct. I, the, this morning's AJC reported by the end of August, the Secretary of State's office will have a, an online application up and running, so we'll see how quickly that moves forward. But, Kyle, uh, several things about that. Number one, uh, the Secretary of State chose not to do what he did before the June 9th primary, which was to send absentee ballot requests to every registered voter in the state. Uh, He said it was very expensive. He says he can't afford to do it again. So there is some concern that uh, uh, absentee voting is going to drop off dramatically if people have to go online and request a ballot, right?
4: Yeah, I think there could be valid concern over that. I think the other thing that sort of plays into... Um, The calculations people make about their individual acceptance of risk that we may get a hint of in today's primary is we're in a much different place in COVID in the state of Georgia in August than we were in June. And, you know, it's difficult or impossible to predict where we would be in November, but a higher case count, a higher rate of community spread may encourage people to be more careful and seek out those options to apply for an absentee ballot online Um, But it certainly isn't as easy a process as everyone getting a mailing like was done in the
1: primary in June. Mary Margaret?
0: There was tension around the application automatic send out during the General Assembly in June. As you know, the Secretary of State wanted to ban all local people um, from being, wanted to ban DeKalb County and all other counties from being allowed to send out applications. That's one of the. That is the reason that the Secretary of State's bill on some other more minor reforms crashed and burned and didn't move forward. Uh, I have asked the Secretary of State, that I've asked Elections Director Chris Harvey, how many counties have voted to send out applications automatically, like DeKalb, and I haven't gotten an answer yet. I know the Cobb County's election board voted to send out applicants applications automatically. But the Cobb County Commission uh, had been willing to pay for it. So I'm, I'm interested in how aggressive, in terms of getting an fair opportunity for vulnerable voters to vote on November, how aggressive the management, good management is for absentee applications. The portal that is coming online, whether it's late August or August 15th, that the election board voted for yesterday, uh, offers some real hope. It eliminates uh, a, the first step of mailing. You don't have to mail in your application. You can do it by the portal. And some of the high-tech people really believe that that is a part of the solution. And we heard yesterday from the National Council of State Legislators a hearing that portals are being used effectively in many other states.
1: Good. All right. Um, let's do this. Let's park uh, the election uh, 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 apparatus talk for the time being and talk very specifically about what's happening in today's elections. Tomorrow, as, as you know, attention is focused not just here in Georgia, but nationally in many ways on two congressional runoffs, GOP runoffs, one in the ninth District, one in the 14th District, and they're being talked about broadly uh, because to some extent – Many people see them as an indication of what direction the Republican Party is heading in 2020 and beyond. So in the 14th district, particularly, you have Joel Cowan, a Rome Rome neurosurgeon, uh, facing off against Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a construction company executive. She came in first in in the June 9th uh, balloting. And, of course, tomorrow, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, has on many occasions uh, shown her allegiance to QAnon conspiracy theories. Tamar?
2: Yeah, um, so she's a, a political newbie um, who moved to the 14th district, which is in Northwest Georgia, from the 6th district where she initially was was challenging Karen Handel. And she is an avid user of social media, um, where where there's for at least reporters anyway, there there's just been a trove of videos to kind of go through where she expresses all sort of all sorts of opinions that that. Kind of fester in a lot of conspiracy groups, including that the the Las Vegas shooting a few years ago, you know, might have been a conspiracy to get uh you know pro Second Amendment people to give up their guns. She's she's uh, espoused racist views, homophobic views, all sorts of things, terrible things about Muslims as well, and. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to count all of them in my head, and, and there's just there's a lot, um, and and a lot of them have caught the attention of, of House leadership in Washington, including the the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who who publicly denounced what she was saying. Um, Steve Scalise, the the House Minority Whip, has helped John Cowan fundraise, um, but there's been a question. You know, you, you've seen up and down all the the House leadership on the Republican side denounce her, but a lot of those folks haven't necessarily backed that up with with helping. John Cowan fundraise. And in a district like the 14th, which is one of the most conservative districts in the country, but especially east of the Mississippi, having the leadership go against you is actually a positive and not a negative.
3: Well, that's part of the quandary that the that the leadership is, is in, in in Washington, is that if they were to come down hard uh, publicly and come in full force uh, that could very easily be counterproductive and work to. Uh, and, you know, there's a difference between being crazy and being conservative, and she's crazy. Let's just, that's the bottom line, is that uh, her views <laughs> oh, are, 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 are simply and typical uh, to basic Republican values. And, and, and hopefully, they, the people of the 14th will turn to someone like Dr. Cowan, who can, uh, given his background, uh, both business and as a, as a very uh, well-respected neurosurgeon, have a very positive impact in Washington. The fact of the matter is folks in the 14th and the 9th have enjoyed two Republican congressmen who've been effective in Washington. And if they turn instead to someone like Ms. Green or to turn attention over to the 9th to someone like Mr. Guttler, uh they're going to lose any kind of meaningful uh, representation in Washington.
1: So Edward, before I, I know, uh, uh, certainly Mary Margaret and Kyle want to jump in on this as well, and I, I want them to. But but before I do that, so y- you're the Republican on the panel today. Yeah. Um, if Marjorie Taylor Greene, if Matt were in the Ninth, who was also who's associated himself to some extent with uh, white supremacists, um, if if they should win today, they're almost assured of seats in the House because these are very very red districts. Edward, correct. Do you believe that the direction of the Republican Party is such that they will be outliers within their party? Or are they going to be representative of an even more conservative, conspiracy-minded group of Republicans who are going to try to assert more and more control on their own party?
3: Let me be blunt, Bill. I think not only should they be considered outliers of the Republican Party, they should be considered outliers of basic American principles. Uh, neither one of them espoused views that I believe that either party or the American people in general uh, should should tolerate, and that they need to be uh, viewed as out as as
4: extreme outliers. The other thing that oh, go ahead, Mary Margaret
0: either uh, Gertler or Miss Green win, it'll be a New York Times front page story tomorrow. If both of them win, uh, I really uh, am nervous about the continuing uh, national bad press on North Georgia. My first job was in North Georgia out of law school. Uh, I have a house there. I spend a lot of time there. I hurt for the prominence of Confederate flags uh, that are very, very, very visible across North Georgia at this time. I don't remember that being the atmosphere uh, of the in my early uh, lost law practice up there. Uh, Miss Green and Ger, I, I wouldn't I, I would be far more hesitant uh, than Ed was. I wouldn't use the word crazy uh, when I'm talking about a congressional candidate, but I would say that they will be very bad for Georgia, very bad for Georgia at a time that Georgia is not getting good press, in which we deserve a better showing nationally than we are demonstrating on the front page of the New York Times. And simply being resentful of the New York Times is not a strategy. I really fear that one or both of them is going to win today.
4: I think one other notable thing related to Marjorie Taylor Greene's candidacy that I feel like President Trump – kind of pioneered in campaigning is this idea that no amount of negative news about your candidacy is too much. And if you flood the zone for journalists, they have so many things to cover and so many things to talk about that just in the normal course of reporting on you, all they can do is discuss negative news about you. It makes them easier. It makes it easier for them to go to their base and say that they are the victim of cancel culture or being persecuted by a biased media and typically stories like these or people who have backgrounds like these, this would have prevented them from winning office in the past, and it doesn't seem to be the case anymore.
3: Well, I want you to so, consider um, the fact of the impact in the ninth District, if I can, Bill, and to look back through history. This is an area – and Mary Morgan and I both have deep roots there. I started my law practice in Dakota, Georgia, up in the northeast corner of the state. This is an area that sends pragmatic conservatives to Washington to get things done. The last three congressmen before this election were Ed Jenkins, uh, Nathan Deal, and Doug Collins, uh, three individuals who went to Washington who were able to work across the line, who were able to get things done in a bipartisan fashion. They were conservative, but they could also work with Democrats. And to have someone like the folks that are being considered uh, in the ninth, like Matt Gertler, or for that matter, over in the 14th, like Marjorie Green, who are not going to go to Washington to try to improve the 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 lives of their communities that they're supposed to be serving, is really going to be very disappointing.
2: Worth kind of going off of what Ed just said, taking a step back and looking at the entire Georgia delegation and what's going to happen. There's going to be a huge change. A lot of folks are retiring. A lot of folks are stepping aside to run for office, as we're seeing with Tom Graves and and Doug Collins and and Rob Woodall. And it's going to take a the clout of the entire Georgia delegation is taking a real hit. Uh, Tom Graves was the senior most Republican. Uh, in the delegation, he'd only been around for 10 years, and and Congress is an institution that that runs off longevity, um, and it runs off people being willing to cut deals. And you know, Tom Graves came to Congress 10 years ago as kind of a Tea Party bomb thrower kind of dude, but but he changed over time, and he was able to kind of wield his power really effectively on the Appropriations Committee. Um, you know, Doug Collins became a real power broker on House Judiciary. Um, you know, he, he became a, a national figure when he was defending Trump during inauguration, or sorry, uh, the impeachment debate, but he was known as actually a favorite of Democrats who, whenever they were looking to cut a deal on something like criminal justice, um, you know, they could count on him. And you, you look at somebody like Matt Gertler, who's kind of a Dr. No kind of figure in the, in the Georgia legislature, it's just going to be a much different feel if he is elected or if somebody like Marjorie Taylor Green's effective. And it's going to be that much harder for anyone in the delegation to, to cut a deal on something to help the state.
1: Um, I've got to get to a break. Before I do, I, I want to say just one quick thing. Um, there are obviously very strong feelings about Marjorie Taylor Greene, about Matt Gurtler. I get that they have taken positions that it's you know are are such that it's it's very difficult, frankly, to go out and find people who want to defend some of what they have they say they they acknowledge they stand for. But I do want to be careful about something. Um, re- whether we like them or not, both Matt Gertler and Marjorie Taylor Greene have won their—they uh, are, Marjor- are on the verge of possibly winning their congressional races. They are therefore expressing the will of the people in their district. And so I think we need to be careful to, to not suggest that they are they are legitimate in the fact that they marry they very well may represent the will of the people in those districts and and i think to some extent separate that from the positions that are difficult to defend and accept that a pair, there may very well be and we'll find out later today tonight tomorrow whether the people in their districts believe that what they stand for is appropriate which legitimizes them no matter what you think of their particular points of view. I hope that makes sense. I think it's an important (laughs) thing to point out. Let's do this. Let's get to a break. We'll come back with a lot more on today's Political Rewind. Senior Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter, Tamar Hellerman, Peach Pod's Kyle Hayes, Representative Mary Margaret Oliver and uh, Edward Lindsay, former uh, state representative, Republican from, the, uh, 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 from Atlanta, uh, are all with us today. By the way, Edward Lindsay, need I point out, is now a partner with Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Mary Margaret, you wanted to weigh in, I think, on what, the comments I made right before the break.
0: Graves and Collins are honest conservatives, uh, but young young men with political talent and some personal skills and some interest in substantive work. And I want to compare that uh, significantly to my experience with Mister Gertler. Um, you know, th- there's I don't use the word crazy, but I u- we'll use the word callow. <laughs> you know, there's there's a when. My introduction to Matt Gertler was watching him on TV as a drunk college student saying what you can never say to a policeman, do you know who I am? And what he was that he thought was important that time was a legislative aide to um, a state legislator. His demeanor, his lack of talent, his lack of interest in substance, his lack of participation. It's the issue of participation that's most significantly to, significant to me in terms of people who come to Congress. It's a very competitive environment. There are a lot of people of talent. Uh, Doug Collins, somebody of talent, somebody I certainly uh, disagree with, but he's a guy of talent who rose quickly, Matt, as did Nathan Deal. Matt Gertler has no talent for the give and take and the substantive, intellectually demanding issues of Congress based on my experience with him on a day-to-day basis. All
1: All right. Right, thank you. I want to. I want to move on. I think it's fair to say this panel has expressed itself quite clearly in how they feel about these Republican candidates, uh, and I want to move on from that. Thank you for thank your you. comments. Um, I know what we want to talk about next tomorrow. I help me understand something. Um, Governor Kemp yesterday, who was uh, with the Surgeon General of the United States at uh, Hartsfield Jackson International Airport, where they've opened a large testing area because they've got a hot spot down there in Clayton County, Fulton County, parts of Fulton, they want to get to the bottom of it. He made it clear that he is not going to issue rules that uh, uh, there should be masks worn in the state schools. He says that should be left up to individual uh, school systems, which know their systems better, And he would not presume to tell them how uh, to uh, uh, deal with masks. Uh, You can't help but contrast that with his saying local cities and counties do not have the right to act on their own when it comes to his larger emergency rules for the whole state. Tamar?
2: Yeah, and it, it comes at a time when Georgia's gotten national attention for some of these social media images that have gone viral. You know, We've talked about North Paulding High School, and now there's talk about Cherokee County, hundreds of students potentially being exposed. So um, certainly even more flack that, that Kemp has received nationally. I was struck when my, my colleague, Greg Bluestein included facts and figures about just what all of these local school districts in Georgia have done so far. And only about 68 of the 180 school districts in the state have mask mandates for teachers and 43 of them have requirements for students and teachers. So overall, a, a relatively small proportion have had the have put those mask mandates in place, which I figured there would be more at this point.
4: Yeah, I have noticed, too, that the governor seems particularly differential to schools and school districts compared to how he feels about local governments acting on their own. Um, listeners may remember that there was this brief discussion about delaying the start of the school year for the entire state, and that discussion was quickly shelved. Um, One thing, though, that I think has defined Governor Kemp's approach on this is to not mandate but encourage people to wear masks. And so my hope would be that he has taken that approach with school districts and school leaders, too, to say maybe he will not mandate at the state level, but certainly encourage districts to take every precaution possible and um, they have at the state level have acknowledged that there are going to be cases and that that's something that they're going to have to deal with. But I hope that they're encouraging as much caution as they can.
3: Well, the bottom line is that mask, the use of mask is a proven way to deter uh, and to tamp down the, this virus and that everyone who's in a public place, particularly indoors in a public place, uh, near other people should be wearing a mask. Uh, that's one thing that both the governor and Mayor Bottoms agree on. How to get people to do so is is where they disagree. Uh, she favors mandates uh, and he favors uh, encouragement uh, through through medical officials and through examples. Note that he, every public appearance that he's had recently, he's always worn a mask. Um, we're not going to get... To the end of this, if we don't uh, have people wearing a mask, uh, keeping social distance, uh, come up with an effective uh, testing that uh, you get the results um, in in something surely less than 10 days or so, Uh, we're not going to get to the end of this uh, before we get a vaccine. And uh, so let's just uh, try to everybody try to behave and get to that point.
1: Mary Margaret?
0: I've been following the litigation between the, uh, Governor Kemp and uh, Mayor Bottoms closely. I've, and It's kind of gone dark for the last week or so in relation to uh, mm. attempted mediation. The governor made a mistake, a political mistake and a legal mistake, in my opinion. It's so uh, contrary to what he wants people to do. And now he's in a further ditch based on telling school systems that they should make their own decisions. Um, the inconsistent messaging and policy leadership on uh, mask is indicative of our lack of leadership and consistency overall in terms of addressing the COVID virus, and that's why we're in the problem that we are now. I think we're in a worse position today than when we left the Capitol in March, and I'm pretty discouraged about it. My only hope at this point is not that our politicians are going to get their act together and do something effective in a leadership mode but
1: that the virus is gonna, the vaccine is going to come as quickly as it can. I'm pretty I'm pretty worried about Kyle, it you know, Kyle, you know it, I'm a little puzzled by all that. I think we all are we can't read the governor's mind. Um, there is no question, and Edward pointed it out that he believes masks are a good thing. As Edward pointed out, he and, and uh, public health director Kathleen Toomey went on a state tour. Uh, to tell people you should be wearing masks. His reluctance to issue a mandate, we're kind of left to speculate whether this has to do with his conservative Republican belief that government should not try to have such a great amount of control over the individual lives of citizens, of residents of a state, whether it is politically motivated, whether it's part of the President Trump's uh, uh, refusal at times to wear masks. We really don't know, but we do know that he's made it clear he thinks masks are a good thing. Yeah,
4: and that's why I think what he's doing with schools especially if he is weighing in behind the scenes is so important because this is an opportunity for him to use good soft power with school districts in more conservative parts of our state. I actually grew up in Cherokee County, graduated from Etowah High School and, and know that area really well and know that officials in Cherokee County would listen to the governor if the governor calls them. You know, Kelly Gertz over in Athens is not going to have as much political overlap with Governor Kemp. School districts and conservative parts of our state are going to listen when the governor calls. And so that's why I say I hope he's weighing in and using soft power because that's an effective tool that he has, even if he won't commit to the mandate publicly. But because that's all behind the scenes, we just don't know if he's doing it.
1: So, Edward, uh, Surgeon General Jerome Adams, who was with uh, Kemp yesterday, kind of seconded what the governor said about masks. He essentially said, uh, gee, you really can't, trying to force young people to wear masks is really counterproductive. You've got to somehow uh, encourage them to do it, not try to force them to do it. Uh, do you think he has a point there that, you know, young people are inclined to absolutely not listen to what they're <laughs> What, their, what parent parental figures tell them to do. We know this, Edward, having children who have <laughs> behaved that way. <laughs> well, I can't
0: speak
3: as an, as an expert on all children. I can simply tell you from, my, from having raised three boys uh, that uh, having uh, peer pressure among, among uh, students is oftentimes far more effective than having some dictate from above. But certainly setting the example from above is important, and that's why it's important that the governor and other public officials wear masks in public to show folks that this is the right thing to do. Uh, we are, you know,
1: we, we, we've got to get control of this. Though. All right. Um, tomorrow, jump in.
2: I was just going to say, you know, yes, it's hard to get, especially teenagers, to listen to authority figures. At the same time, when I was in high school, you know, we certainly had administrators and teachers who policed what students wore pretty heavily. You know, no, no baseball caps, no spaghetti straps. If you wore a skirt that didn't go, um, you know, below your your fingertips, you were sent home. And and that was, you know, they did a pretty good job of policing that. So. You know, I've seen teachers argue that that this is in the same vein, those who at least want
0: a mask mandate anyway. Uh, I I was just going to jump in exactly what Tamar said. I mean, the idea that you can't tell a teenage girl not to wear a tube top and somehow that's an infringement, just ridiculous argument to make. Uh, Hair, blue blue jeans around your butt, short, I mean, it's just ridiculous to say you can't tell teenagers that they have to wear masks. The modeling that the governor has done in most cases to wear a mask in Georgia is very positive, but his stated policies are totally inconsistent with that, and I, I fault him for that,
4: and I think it's a significant failure. The one final thing that I would add is just that if that photo from Etowah High School of those you know, 40 or 50 seniors out in front of the school, uh-huh. if they had all been wearing masks instead of not been wearing masks, That, I think, would have been a key victory in Governor Kemp's strategy of trying to have people be, you know, take on personal responsibility, be examples to themselves and to others. Um, I think that's sort of a a key measure of whether or not that strategy is working.
1: All right, let's do this. Uh, Let's get to our final break of Political Rewind uh, for today. By the way, you are listening to public radio, which is why it's perfectly fine for Mary Margaret to use the word but- uh, and she, we can, you can say things like that on public radio um, let's take a break we'll be right back I was teasing Mary Margaret and I apologize for that I mean I'm 73 years old I still have an immature streak that I cannot seem to completely control a very bad joke Edward you want to jump in Just real quickly, uh,
3: I want to make sure what I said a moment ago was understood. I agree with Tamar and and with Mary Margaret that school districts uh, should be uh, mandating uh, school uh, dress codes, and that should include masks. What I was referring to was not just what takes place in the building, but what takes place during most of the time that our children are spending time with their friends, which is outside of school. Uh, the peer pressure among themselves is going to be equally important, if not more important, uh, to get them to be uh, policing among themselves. Uh, certainly within the schools, which are, quite frankly, by definition, tightly packed together. I showed them that picture in Paulding County. Uh, you know, mask mandates within these schools, I think, is absolutely um, uh, uh, paramount in terms of trying to protect the children okay. here in Georgia.
1: Okay, thank you for that. Um, let's move on. Uh, tomorrow, you know, it's interesting. We've spent, all of us, not, not just on Political Rewind, but I think all of us in, who, who cover politics uh, in the news business, we've spent an awful lot of time talking about Senate race number two, the jungle election, which we've uh, posed as a race between uh, Doug Collins and Kelly Leftler for the Republican Share of that vote. But of course, there are Democrats in that race as well. And suddenly there are some stories this week that relate to two of those Democrats, Raphael Warnock and uh, Matt Lieberman. So uh, let me start that part of the conversation by saying this. We saw a Monmouth poll about a week or so ago. Which uh, looked at Senate race number two. And although Leffler and Collins, remember, this is a race in which Republicans and Democrats listeners all run on the same ballot. Leffler and Collins did maintain the one and two positions, and they were far ahead of the top Democrats. But what many people noted was that Matt Lieberman, who's really been under the radar, was considerably ahead of Raphael Warnock. Tamar? That caught a lot of people off guard, although I will say we had some folks on this show who suggested the methodology in that poll may have been a little questionable, especially in the way it it weighed the black vote. But go ahead and talk about that.
2: I think it's troubling for the the Democratic Party officials for for two reasons. The first of all is that the party has really coalesced around Raphael Warnock, um, and they have been for months now. You you've seen fundraising not only from the party here in Georgia but nationally. You've seen figures like Stacey Abrams endorse him already. Um, and typically, where where the parties don't like to necessarily get involved in primaries, they're also very concerned. As you mentioned, this is going to be a everyone's on the same ballot in November, and because they're so many candidates, it's almost certain to go to a runoff in January. Democrats are absolutely terrified of having multiple candidates who will split their vote, dilute it, and then you could maybe end up in a nightmare scenario for them where it is Kelly Loeffler versus Doug Collins in January with no Democratic choice.
0: That's certainly my fear. The newspaper story this week was was a little unnerving, but the good news for Warnock is his fundraising. And I'm a donor. I'm a supporter. I think the fundraising is going to be a very significant part of that. When you have the chemo going out really strongly, uh, Lucy McBath, uh, the African-American successes this year across Georgia are all going to be strengthening with Warnock's leadership. All of that is a good strategy for Democrats um, I'm probably a little bit more worried about Tarver than I am Lieberman, but, um, I think that Warnock is a very strong candidate and I'm very glad to see that he's going to have a lot of money and a lot of leadership support. So, um, I think it's worth noting, uh, the poll that came out this week, but I'm not going to be too discouraged about it at this point. I think it's also... Relevant to me, and i I can't I don't think any of this is predictable for me anyway. last one seems to be doing weaker and weaker to my view, and so um, it puts Warnock in a better number two position one or two position uh the weaker she gets as the each week goes by. I thought that the the Ellie May story yesterday is very significant and again focuses on her husband's money um Suggesting, I mean, her trying to parrot uh, President Trump's sort of more, I don't know what word to use for his policies, it just does seem so inauthentic to me. Um, so if she continues to be weak and Warnock's money continues to go well, I'm encouraged for him.
1: Well, I, Edward, I want to give you a chance, but before let me let me jump in and then let, let throw it to you. I'm not sure, that Mary Margaret. I said on this show the other day that I was kind of interested in the fact that Kel- Kelly Loeffler seems to be vastly eclipsing Doug Collins in terms of the attention she's getting right now. Now, Mary Margaret would argue that's negative; that works against her. I'm not so sure. I mean, it strikes me that there have been a lot of that she suddenly has become a much more prominent uh, a figure. And we'll figure, we'll find out whether that accrues to her benefit or not. But go ahead, Edward.
3: Well, a few quick observations and one question back to Tamar, uh, who may have the answer to this. Um, Number one, as Mary Margaret indicated, it's August. So poll numbers are relatively meaningless at this point. Uh, We'll see. Number two, I will say this, is that endorsements, quite frankly, are very limited in their impact at the end of the day a candidate's got to prove uh, him or herself and right now while uh reverend Warnock has uh, a lot of endorsements he simply has not come out of his shell and 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 shown what he could be as a candidate it's yet to be seen if he can my guess is he probably will uh the and then i'll turn my attention to a question probably that maybe tomorrow and her newspaper have investigated how much of the money that he's raised has actually been in-state uh, grassroots versus out-of-state? I mean, you know, the the strength, for instance, of Stacey Abrams was that while she did get outside money, uh, she had enormous uh, fundraising capability within the state with small small donors. I just haven't seen that yet.
2: And and generally, Ed, I do sort of agree with you that I think the power of endorsements, they mean a little less than they did maybe 20 years ago. I think Stacey Abrams is an exception though, especially when it does come to fundraising just because she commands such a formidable national network now. So if she's pushing you, especially nationally, that, that certainly doesn't hurt you. At the same time, you know, talking about Matt Lieberman and his strength in that poll, he has a very famous last name that voters have been familiar with for, for decades now. Warnock does not have that. He had some great publicity recently giving the the um, eulogy for, for John Lewis at his funeral, but people don't know who he is. He doesn't have that statewide name yet and that's something he's really going to have to focus on you know as he spends his money over these next couple months he doesn't have the name idea of doug collins or kelly leffler or even a a lieberman
4: but i think i i mean i ultimately will be very surprised if this doesn't come together in a way where warnock is very competitive to make the runoff i mean in some ways i feel like you couldn't draw it up better for Warnock, he's the pastor at Dr. King's Church, and he's running during this year of, of demonstrations for racial justice. And he's running, at least to me, the most prominent Republican in this race right now, it does feel like Kelly Leffler, who's doubled down on fighting the WNBA over racial justice issues. Like, if all of that doesn't ultimately come together when people are paying more attention, I will be very confused as to why. Um, You know, given the money and the endorsements, it's all laid out for him, Um, but I'm a long-time Georgia Bulldog fan where it's all laid out for us and it doesn't come together in the end, so
1: we'll see. (laughs) Mary Margaret, I want to give you a last shot at this.
0: The Lieberman name is 20 years old at this point. It doesn't compete with the Stacey Abrams name in terms of our Democratic strategy in 2020, so – I don't give credit to a Lieberman name as fun as I was of Joe Lieberman when he was a VP candidate. Speaking of VP candidate, uh, 20, but it's 20 years ago. That's a very long time.
1: Yeah. All right. I want to ask you one last quick question. We are short on time, Mary Margaret, and that's I, uh, you're the uh, first actual uh, uh, member of the legislature we've had on since mm-hmm. the governor said he was planning on calling a special session to fix Uh, problems with the money that's supposed to go to help uh, uh, Hurricane Michael farmers uh, get by. Uh, And yet there's a lot of skepticism about why this is going to happen in a pandemic. Your thoughts on that very quickly.
0: Very bad idea. Very bad idea. I have no rational explanation of the alleged tax issue. Very bad idea. have a special session.
1: Edward, you get a quick uh, response as the Republican on this panel. My guess is there's
3: something else involved in a a proposed special election than what's been stated so far, but we'll see. And I do expect there to be a certain pushback by uh, the lieutenant governor and the speaker uh, against having a special session, given the tightness of a lot of- Yeah, the lieutenant governor has
1: already pushed back. Kyle, we got about a minute or so uh just a
4: quick note that uh this could be the last time the legislature convenes before a democrat before democrats have a real shot to take the state house so if they have any final wish list uh, items i would look for that as a part of this special session too
1: interesting 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 all right well that's it we are out of time for today's show um i really appreciate Kyle Hayes uh you can listen to Peach Pod uh, at whatever platform you subscribe to your podcast. But don't forget the AJC and GPB. We have terrific podcasts to listen to as well. You can actually listen to a Political Rewind podcast uh, if you'd like to. Mary Margaret Oliver, thank you. Edward Lindsay, terrific to have you here. tomorrow. see you again. Not too soon because you're headed off to the beach. Good for you. Uh, we're out of time for today's Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. See you again tomorrow. In the meantime, Please take care and stay healthy. See y'all.